When a tragedy strikes in a way that hits really close to home, it can be physically, emotionally, and psychologically devastating. And sometimes this pain is exacerbated by a lack of care and understanding from the people we love most. For many minorities, we know the feeling well. When we have a certain identity that's not shared by the majority, it means that we might find ourselves feeling isolated by the continuous stressors in our world that others might not even recognize. Today, we're sharing a bonus episode of the Friend Board podcast about defining minority stress. And I need you to hear me carefully. The interview that you're about to hear was recorded one month ago before the fallout of what we're seeing right now that's taking place in certain parts of our world that have people talking, a major humanitarian crisis. Initially, I thought to record the episode because of the frustration and disappointment that Black people feel in the wake of another unarmed Black person being murdered, an Asian friend who experienced very real terror as their communities endure vicious attacks unprovoked and they feel their friends are silent. I thought of friends and the queer community who are often walking into certain spaces and have a very real fear, knowing there's a chance that they'll be targeted. And for other identities that have certain people walking around with these invisible anxieties that their friends cannot detect. Recently, there is a humanitarian crisis where we are seeing pictures and videos that showcase the kind of evil that only nightmares are made of. Right now, no matter who you are, you likely have friends or social connections in your life with people who are connected in a personal way to these events. You might have friends in your life who are terrified right now that their families are among those who are being innocently persecuted. You might have friends in your life right now who are frustrated that their people have been oppressed for years and haven't received the coverage and media attention that they feel they are due. You might have friends in your life right now who fear that their own families will be targeted here in the States. You might have friends who have spoken up publicly on their views on this issue and are suffering very real consequences. You have friends who have families who are angry that their governments are making decisions that have them caught in the crosshairs. Many of us have friends whose hearts are especially heavy right now, and we all want to be there for them in a way that makes them feel seen and heard and supported, even though their experience might be well beyond our range of understanding and relatability. So how do we offer support to a friend when we feel equipped? In today's interview with Dr. Danny Rosencrantz, who's a psychologist specializing in supporting the mental health and wellness for those with specific marginalized identities, you're going to hear her define for us what minority stress is, what it looks like, the toll it takes on your body and your mind, especially those who are among friends who don't share this identity and the toll it can take on a friendship overall. We'll also learn ways to support friends who are going through these kinds of situations. I can't stress enough that this episode was recorded one month ago, but unfortunately, it will always be timely. So please resist the temptation to project certain context onto it. I ask that you listen with an open heart and ask yourself if you have friends you could be supporting at this time who might be feeling unseen and who might be angered at a perceived lack of support from their friends. Okay? So the goal here at Friend Forward is to bridge the gap between women who love each other but sometimes feel a certain division and to bring harmony 
And I hope that you can receive this in the spirit with which it has been presented. Let's jump in. Welcome to the Friend Forward Podcast, powered by BetterFemaleFriendships.com. I'm Danielle Byer-Jackson, a friendship coach, educator, and author of the upcoming book, Fighting for Our Friendships. And it's my job to share the science of women's conflict and connection. So when it comes to the joys, complexities, and misconceptions surrounding these kinds of relationships, I am here to help you through it. We're talking today specifically about minority stress. And as we dig into that, why don't you start by kind of let's let's create a baseline here, a working definition of what minority stress is. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to give credit. It's a concept that was established by a researcher named Elon Meyer. And really, in a nutshell, it's pretty simple. It's like this idea that when you hold a marginalized identity, whether that's being a person of color or a queer person, the impact of the stressors from outside of your body, like turning on the news and seeing they're talking about your community and the legislator or turning on your Instagram, seeing folks talk about, I don't know, some po- like a famous person said that was hurtful, like all of that, all the way down to like the tiny our conversations with friends and family and bosses and all of that kind of stuff, it impacts your nervous system. It impacts your health. (laughs) And so it's really about thinking, you know, when we're feeling distress in our bodies, when this kind of stuff happens, when there's some kind of crisis event in our community that we're navigating, like, how do we check in on ourselves and how do we check in on our people? Mm, That's so good. You know, as you're speaking, kind of providing these vignettes of what it looks like turning on the news, Instagram, I think about especially when I was kind of like in the corporate sphere. I did a brief stint working for a national organization as their PR person. And I was in the minority in a lot of ways. And I had a lot of those instances you just described when there's some kind of egregious social justice incident, something. And almost like a switch, not even it being a thought, but knowing I need to like have minimal reaction. I can't sit and read this all day because I have to go into this room and keep doing my thing and I will cry in my car on the lunch break and then can't relax in my body because what if somebody brings it up, you know, like Mm -hmm. that thing on the news, right? And, you know, for you, it's not just a water cooler conversation. And so just the stress of having to contain it in spaces where there's no Mm -hmm. space for it. Talk to me a little bit about that, about the ongoing burden of seeing and experiencing all these things, but then maybe not having anywhere to bring it. Yeah, I think what you're highlighting is so important that the the reality is this is a chronic experience. So minority stress isn't like a one time thing, like a one off incident where somebody says something. It's the reality of having an identity that this kind of stuff happens chronically over your lifetime. And so yeah, everything you just described, all of that is such effort, like the amount of energy you spent to navigate, how do I monitor myself? How do I react appropriately to have the least kind of blowback? All of that impacts our bodies and our wellness. And so it does become really important to think about, okay, how can I do this differently? And so I think, you know, some of the things that come to my mind in terms of advocating for ourselves are things like, first, just before we reach out to anybody, I think it's really important for us to honor the impact to ourselves. Like when you went to the car and you're like, okay, now I get to cry because that sucked. <laughs> Giving ourselves that time to say like, yeah, this sucks. Like this does impact my nervous system. I do deserve to be able to acknowledge it. We don't all know how to do that. Like that's not something we all have learned is okay. So I think it's a real important step in the process of giving ourselves that kind of space 
And then I think a lot about, you know, when things like that happen, how do we connect to our peace and our joy? And part of that for me is community and is my friends. So thinking about, you know, who are your people where you get that kind of support, where you feel seen, where you feel like I don't got to explain it. I know they see me. I know they got my back. Like figuring out who those people are and getting into like a space with each other where you can let each other know I need something. Like I need space. I, I need you to hold space with me. And I know sometimes we can get like unsure. Like, is it okay that I take that space, especially depending on different identities they might hold? But I think if we can start to acknowledge that minority stress is real for us, then we have more capacity to really make that space for each other because it's part of our allyship to one another. So that's definitely something I think is really important. I really am clinging to the last bit you set up. You know, that's part of our allyship for one another is to hold space. And I know a lot of us, you know, there is this language of like, be there, hold space and knowing like, okay, what does that look like? Because sometimes it's hard because your intention might be, I'm going to listen and I'm going to be supportive, of course, but also realizing my limitations and not necessarily in terms of emotional capacity, but just in terms of the understanding I can offer. So I know as a Black woman, there are certain shared experiences I have with other Black women and it's not a whole conversation. And it feels like, okay, I can relax. I don't have to explain, justify, tiptoe, right? But then I know that there might be a friend who's Jewish who comes to me and she's talking about something and I can be like, oh my gosh, yes, I read an article on that. I hear you. I saw that too. That's awful. But there's only so much I can I can do, so much I can affirm until she probably needs to go to a space with like-minded people who have a shared experience who can say, you know, it's just different. And so can you talk a little bit about striking that balance of the friends who are supportive Mm -hmm. and then the friends who offer community that affirms a certain identity? Like, you know, because I feel like it's fluffy to say, like, just find friends who support you. Like, it doesn't matter. Just find friends. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Like how critical it is to have those specific audiences. Yeah, I think to me, some of it is we get caught up a little bit sometimes just as humans and like wanting to say the perfect thing or the right thing to support each other. So one of the tricks that I like to use is like when you're with someone, like part of deep listening and active listening to me is learning how to, you're, you can attend to the details you want to attend and be able to reflect back like what, what you're hearing. But I think the most important piece is attending to the feeling. And that way, like, yes, you as a Black woman might not have had the same experiences that I might have had with anti-Semitism, but you know that feeling of feeling powerless, yeah, of feeling unsafe. And so, yes, there's some nuance there. Absolutely. That is very real that I can get a different kind of experience potentially with someone who is a Jewish person. But I think there's also so much power in that healing of like being with people who don't necessarily always share that identity, but we can connect over that emotion. And it's like this pathway to each other to be able to really be with each other in this really human way. And we can learn from each other's communities in that way too, that I think is really powerful. I also think one of the challenges I sometimes see too, is that we have these ideas that these communities are silos, but I know that there are Jewish Black folks in my community, and there are queer Black folks in your community. And like all of that, like we can be there for each other in that diversity too. But sometimes we kind of get that anxiety of like, I can't be enough. I'm worried that I can't be enough. But another piece of that too is like you mentioned, like I want to have something I could say, like I read something or I did something. I think it's actually a lot more powerful to just be with the emotion and reflect back what you're hearing. 
than it is to have to move into problem solving mode or to have to bring something in. Like you do not need to be an expert on your friend's experience. It is so much more powerful to just be a human with them and say, I hear the words that you're saying. And if I were to say like three kind of steps to kind of be in there in these kind of moments, I think one that I want you to think about is like really deep present listening where you are listening for those emotions. Again, taking off the pressure to have a solution or to have like an article or research that you can bring in, like just be there, listen to the pain. And then the second thing is like, see and acknowledge the hurt that they're saying, like verbalize that. Like I see what you're going through. I might not have lived it myself in the exact same way, but I see you, I see you're hurting. I see the impact of this oppression on you. And I, I hate this for you. And it sucks. Like, I am just with you in that. Like I've had so many clients I've gotten on the phone with who were talking about what's happened. And I'll say like, that sucks. And they're like, thank you. Like no one said that to me. And it's so simple, right? To just be like, that really sucks that that happened. Like you deserve so much better. So I think that's the second piece. And then third, I think resourcing support can be a really powerful way that we can use our inner resources, our community connections to help people. So That to me looks like one, just saying like, I got you, I'm going to be there. But also honoring, you mentioned this a little bit, like your own boundaries too. And and part of honoring our boundaries of our capacity can also look like saying like, I want to normalize like therapy. I want to normalize other kinds of resources and support. Like that's why community is so powerful because we don't have to be the only ones there. But if we can help resource and connect while also honoring their boundaries too of like, you know, do they want other people to know or different things like that. But I think being an offering of like, I have resources, I'd be happy to share and connect with you. And actually on that vein, I think one of the most powerful things I see community do for people, friends and can do this as well, is like, if somebody does need therapy support, helping them find the resources, like helping them get down to a list of a few people they could choose from. (laughs) When they are in that emotional state of feeling overwhelmed, it can feel really, really hard to read a bunch of profiles and like pick the right Mm -hmm. person. But I think that's another thing friends can do if the person like wants that kind of support. Yeah, this is so good. You're giving us permission to not have to say the right thing. And I have seen where the pressure whether it's self-imposed or external to say the right thing can sometimes immobilize us completely. We don't mm-hmm. call back. We don't text. We are changing the subject because we are ill-equipped, not for lack of care. I don't know how to console you or, you know, so yeah. I think it's really great that you're speaking to giving yourself permission to not have to find the right comforting words and instead just to acknowledge how this person feels, which I know we can all do. So thank you for that tip about, okay, don't get caught in the details. What is this person feeling? Powerless, afraid. I know what that feels like. And how can I acknowledge it? It's so good. You know, a couple months ago, I made a newish friend. Okay. She is white. And we had a couple glasses of wine and I was talking about just, you know, an incident that happened at my son's school and my son at the time was four. And I just was like, I can't believe this is starting already. Like he's only four. And and Mm. I saw this thing happen through the window with the teacher and him and it just made me so mad. And a part of my body was not able to relax because I thought, Here's like, what's she going to say? Yeah. Here's the moment where, you know, especially for black people or people of various identities where you're like, how is this person going to respond? And what does it reveal about them? And what does it reveal about our capacity as friends? 
Because if you say something crazy, I'm sorry. And she paused and she just said, oh, and I will never know what that feels like. And I'd be mad too, but I will never know what that feels like. And that I remember that being enough because I had been in a similar situation with the white woman. She wasn't a friend, but a, a colleague. And she went into, yeah, no, I know what you mean because like I have a daughter, you know? And so girls experience the same thing as gender minorities. And I can appreciate that she was trying to find common mm-hmm. ground, but it also felt minimizing, you know, uh-huh. so I'm recalling as you're talking, being on the side of the person sharing how helpful it is to just have a person acknowledge. And so that part specifically is really resonating with me. Yeah. That is such a beautiful like offering she gave you of just like holding space. Like, yeah, like I see you. I don't fully see it in my own body and experience and I probably never will because of my privileges. But my God, that sounds so hard. And I think those are the kind of gifts we can give each other holding that nuance of like, I can connect to that emotion, that exact lived experience might not be something I will have to navigate or have not navigated. It also made you just made me think about like, when we think about intimacy building and friendship, like minority stress is a part of that. Like that moment that you described was stressful. Like I'm about to share this vulnerable human part of myself as a marginalized human. And I don't know if this person is going to be there for me and catch me in taking this job. And like, so I think being friends with marginalized humans requires us to, to create that kind of space to be able to acknowledge those emotions, to be able to hold that nuance. And again, it, it, like she didn't go into talking about like, I got a map on a story or here's an article or here's a, a tool. It was very much like, I'm a human with you right now. And like, I hate that this is happening for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if was- we want intimacy across those differences, then we have to name them. We have to talk about it as a real thing we're, we're dealing with and living with in our community. Okay, that's so good. That's so beautifully talking about if we want to build intimacy across these identities, that's what would be required. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a barrier to intimacy, these differences, but how do we explore that and achieve that mm-hmm. despite or alongside these intersectional identities? Now, you spoke a little bit earlier about intersectional identities. You gave me a reminder. You're like, Danielle, there are gay Black people. There are Jewish Black people. I'm like, <laughs> yes, yes, you're right. <laughs> and so for those who find a sense of home in these identities, you know, they have a safe space. But what about people who are listening right now and they're like, okay, this all sounds great, but I'm still at a loss for how to start finding these Mm. pockets of community. I I don't know where to go. What has been some of your strategies or tips for people who are like ready to actively start looking for places where they feel like there's community? What's your advice there for how to get started? Yeah, that's such a good question. And I know for me, like it has felt really, really important and like energizing, like spiritually grounding for me to be in like Jewish queer spaces. And so for me, I started really with like looking online and seeing what's acceptable either virtually or in person. And sometimes actually I've even like when I'm in another space, like another city, I know like in the Jewish community, Shabbat is a big weekly event. So sometimes I'd like look online. There's in the Jewish community, we have a great organization called One Table that is all about sponsoring like Shabbat experiences for young folks. And so I'll like go on their website and look like, is there a queer Shabbat happening in this town? And and I've gone and just being in those spaces can be really healing. Also finding a connector. Like I found one person 
who was integrated into those communities. And now I see where they are doing stuff and where they're going, figuring out who like the, I was listening to Dr. Marissa. Uh, Dr. Marissa oh Franco. Goodness. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I met her this summer. Oh, um, great. Amazing. Yeah. And I was listening to her work and she was talking about like igniters, mm-hmm. uh, like igniter friends that like bring community together. So sometimes that's also a matter of like figuring out how to find the igniter that could be like proximal to you that is bringing people together. And then, you know, using the internet, you can like create community for yourself sometimes. Like you can create a Facebook group or a meetup group or different things. Another maybe more like easy to access kind of tip is like connecting through other mediums, like through stories, through books, Mm -hmm. through movies, like narratives about people who have your lived experience and then sometimes going and following those authors or those creators online and seeing if there are any like people that are connected as well in your area that can also be like I think like to me I'm like oh like I follow the friend forward podcast like who is connected to Danielle (laughs) you know that'll be like-minded humans that care about friendship yeah so I think those are also options too that's so good. And I really appreciate that you mentioned reading books and movies just to start to feel seen. Like maybe it's not immediately accessible. I can put my hands on it and, and go to this yeah. room, but I feel less alone reading this book and, and I see myself as just a starter point in the meantime. It's so good. As we wrap, is there anything else you feel like is worth mentioning as we talk about minority stress at the intersection of friendship? I think the only other thing I want to name is like that when I think about the best friendships, they are complex. They have space for talking about pain and challenges where we really acknowledge and see each other, even if we have different experiences. But they also have a deep capacity for joy and like engagement with each other and things that bring us joy, bring us connection, spirituality, like all of those kind of good, rich things where we get to be our best whole selves. And so I think another piece of that that I want to remind people is that as part of your friendship, you can also do things that connect to joy together and create change. Like advocacy can look like a bazillion things to create change in the world. So there's a less minority stress going around. I know a group of folks that I'm friends with here in Tampa, like we've been getting together to do an art night and just like work together on expressing some of the stress that we feel sometimes. But like figuring out what your lane of creativity, your lane of influence is and like collabing together can also be a really powerful way to kind of channel the anger and pain that is so valid and real into something where you feel like agency and creating something different. As your new official friendship coach, here's your homework. Listen closely. I want you to think of your three closest friends. What are certain identities that they have that you don't? And can you do a little homework to see what are the most pressing issues for people in those communities? So for example, if you have a friend who is Indian and you don't share that identity, What are some things that you hear people talking about that are pressing, that are of top concerns in those communities, especially in those communities in the area that you live? If you have somebody who has a certain faith, is their faith under attack or or facing specific challenges right now? So people who have different beliefs, ethnicities, just all those things are the intersectionality of who we are. There's beauty in those differences, but in order for our friends to feel supported by us, maybe being more aware 
of what they're experiencing in those spaces could be a good start. If this is something that you are intrigued by or you have things to share on how it's resonating with you, you know we'd love to hear it. You can send us a voice note in the DMs on Instagram at friendforward or visit us anytime online at betterfemalefriendships.com. I hope to see you over there. Until then, you know that I'll be right here rooting for you always on your ongoing journey toward better female friendships. Until next time.